Amen. I hope you're as excited to be here as I am. I believe that God is in the place and he's got miracles waiting. Now, you have to understand that wherever I go, I expect God to show up and do miracles. So tonight I believe is a miracle night. And I believe that, I don't know how else to put this, but it really doesn't matter what I preach on, somebody gets healed. Somebody has a life-changing experience with God. And I believe that tonight is a night that you came with a heart of expectancy. You ushered in the presence of the Holy Spirit through your praise and worship. And right now, we're just going to honor him. Would you stand with me? Take out your Bibles and turn with me to Amos chapter 9. If you don't know where Amos is, just start in Genesis and keep going till you find where the pages stick together. Okay, and you're probably right there in Amos. Not many people preach from Amos. Amos didn't even preach much from Amos. Amos chapter 9 and verse 13. You will have such a harvest that you won't be able to bring in all of your wheat before plowing time. You will have grapes left over from season to season. Your fruitful vineyards will cover the mountains. The Message Bible puts it like this. Yes, indeed, it won't be long now. God's decree. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other you won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once and everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. Father, tonight we thank you so much for the anointing to preach and to teach your word. And Father, I've come with a heart of expectancy. And Holy Spirit, I look to you as the greater one who dwells within me to accurately deliver your word with all boldness and without compromise. I thank you for lives changed. I thank you for lives healed. I thank you for lives delivered tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for miracles. We receive them by faith. And we covenant that you alone will receive the honor and glory. We thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to say a big thank you to your pastors, Jeff and Robin. They are good friends of ours. You know, being in ministry, you don't always get to hang out the way you'd like to. But whenever you get together, it's like you haven't missed a beat. You're just right there. You're just going. There's that uh, spirit of anticipation when you come together and camaraderie that is so much fun. And as uh, your pastor mentioned, this is a unique time in our ministry. I've been in full-time ministry nearly 40 years, started ministering in my teens. If I were to count that, it's 45, 46 years. Uh, But one thing I know is that you always have to stay fresh in God. You can't rest on yesterday. Yesterday. No, you can't be there. You've got to, what is God doing now? I love this song. I can't change what happened yesterday and I can't control what's happening tomorrow, but right here in the middle. That's where you said you're going to be. So tonight, I would would encourage you and challenge you. I used to tell my staff this. Wherever you are, 
be there. Have you ever noticed that you can be someplace and your mind's over here and then it's over here and what happened during the day and I don't know about this and what's gonna happen tomorrow and I got this thing, I got that bill notice, I got all, shh. Tonight is God. It's for him and what he wants to do. But in our lives, we know that God is constantly moving and we're taking new steps of faith, believing God. And I want you to know that I don't practice what I preach. I preach what I practice. You see, there's a huge difference. What I share with you doesn't come out of philosophy or theory. It comes because I live this way. I live believing that the supernatural is my natural. I don't live hoping that God will show up. I know he's already there. And I want you to say already. already. Say it again, already. already. Because tonight I'm going to preach about the already factor. Right. Woo! Already. already. You see, we've been praying this year, my wife and I, out of Exodus 33, verse 15. I like what the Message Bible says. God, if you're not going with us, cancel this trip now. And so we've asked God to only take us places in this year that is ready for this message. <clears throat> Those that are ready to hear a word from the Lord. And I'm excited because that means tonight, already, we're ready. And I want to look at a promise from God that I believe is for faith builders today. What is God saying in this moment right now? And it's found in the book of Amos. But before we get to the promise, I want to set the stage for what's happening. It's about the 8th century B.C. And there is a man who doesn't come from the right pedigree. He doesn't have all the prophet credentials. He's not from the sons of the prophets or the school of the prophets. I don't even know if he can spell prophet. He doesn't even consider himself from that. Israel's still divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and southern of Judah. He's from Judah. In fact, he's from a little tiny place called Tekoa, which is so desolate you can't even believe a shepherd would live there. But he's just a shepherd south of Bethlehem. And God says, I need you to go to Israel and prophesy. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're comfortable in your current position, and you know, shepherding, you get used to. I can handle these sheep. But God, why do you want me to go into Israel and deliver a word? I'm not a prophet. But I want you to see, God sees you differently than you see yourself. You may not come from the right pedigree. You might not have all the degrees. You might not have, listen, I've, I've hung out with people that have so many degrees they could be a thermometer, but that doesn't make them smart. I want you to hear what I'm saying. What makes a difference is do you know the creator of the universe? Do you know almighty God? And if he says you're qualified, you're qualified. That's all it takes. You don't need all the other stuff. 
So here's this shepherd. And God is not happy with the nation of Israel. You have to understand, at this point in time, the nation is divided. And socioeconomically, it's struggling. Not because it's not prospering. It's prospering unlike many times in Israel's history. But there had become such a divide between the rich and the poor, you could actually buy a slave in that day for a pair of sandals. I mean, think about that. Where somebody would actually have to go into servitude for the rest of their life for some footwear. Judges could be bought and paid for with a handful of silver. And yet there was this elite class that wanted control and they wanted power. They did their feasts, they did their offerings, they did everything religiously, but Amos says God will not receive them or accept them because God isn't interested in your rituals. He's interested in relationship. See, covenant based on rituals is nothing but religion. But a covenant based on relationship will result in the miracle working power of God. And if we want to see miracles, we can't rely on just the status quo, just showing up to church, just coming to another service. We've got to rely on the power of God to be manifested because I know the maker of the universe. I know what he wants to do. And tonight, I've come with a heart of expectation. According to the scripture in Amos, you begin in the first chapter. There were five things about the nation of Israel that God was displeased with. And I'm not going to teach on these five things. I just want to give them to you very quickly. One, they had lost their testimony. I want to put you in remembrance of what Revelation says. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You need to be rehearsing your testimony over and over and over. And when somebody says, I've already heard that, it's not your testimony. It's my testimony. And I'm going to keep giving my testimony until I overcome. See, it doesn't say they overcame and gave their testimony. It says they overcome by the blood that's already been shed and by the word of their testimony. You want to overcome? You've got to keep rehearsing your testimony over and over and over. When I was on my deathbed, I didn't have a testimony. I had a problem. But when God raised me up off that, I got a testimony. So now I still have a testimony. Forty-some years ago, I was supposed to be dead. I went numb from my waist down. Had no feeling at all. Totally paralyzed, waist down. Got checked into the hospital. The doctor said, you've got less than 24 hours to live. You've been diagnosed. We took a spinal tap. You've got advanced spinal meningitis. You'll be dead in the morning. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even really know the word of God. I just knew Jesus. I didn't have the right faith words. Now hear me. That's not an excuse for not knowing the word of God. 
But at that point in my life, I didn't know it. But what I did know was God had a purpose for my life. And I wasn't dying in that hospital room that night. And by the way, I didn't make a deal with God saying, if you raise me up out of here, I'll be a preacher. I didn't bargain with God. I didn't even know you could or should. All I knew is I'm not dying. God will do whatever you got to do, but I'm not going to die in this hospital room. But Israel had lost its testimony. The second thing that was happening in Israel is that the elite were trying to keep everybody else down by shaming them. Now when you think about that, what's going on even in our nation today? You can't turn left or right without somebody bringing an accusation, somebody bringing shame. I've been in full-time ministry nearly 40 years. You know what? I've hugged a lot of women. I've loved a lot of guys. I've kissed some men. If there was room for accusation, I got it. Right? I mean, it's there. But I'm not going to stop loving the people of God because I'm afraid of somebody saying, I think his motives were wrong. The church never bows its knee to the world. The world is going to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. And it's time once again for the church to rise up bold. You see, in the early days of the church, there was the Jewish people, and there was the church, and there were the Roman Empire. Well, people wanted you to either side with the Jews or the Romans. But then there was another way called the third way, and it was the church. It became known as the way. No, I'm not here, and I'm not there. I stand for what Jesus said. And it's time once again that we don't go to the left, to the right, but we go to the center. The only plumb line is Jesus. And in him we say, are you with us? Just as the angel appeared unto Joshua and he said, are you for us or against us? And the angel said, sorry, you got it wrong. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's army. Are you with me? The third thing that had happened in Israel, they forgot their covenant. They had their rituals down, but they forgot their covenant. The fourth thing is they would try and destroy anything around them because they had lost compassion. It was all self-centered. It was all about them. It was about what they could receive. It wasn't about anybody else. Let me get enough for me and my own. God was displeased with them. And the fifth thing is they would take all four of those and wrap them up into a ball and want to destroy anybody that tried to revive them. But at the end, I like what Amos said. It's found in Amos chapter 9. And there's three things that God wanted to accomplish. First, there would be a raising God himself would raise up the tabernacle of David. Second, there was going to be a closing. God himself will close the breaches around it. And third, there was a building. 
God said he would build again as in the days of old. Now listen, you can't go back and change the past, but that doesn't mean that everything in the past is bad. God has things that he's established. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows your future and your past and called you anyway. You know, God knew every mistake you'd ever make and said, yeah, I'll use that one. He knows every mistake you ever will make and still said, yeah, I'll use that one. That's grace. That's God's grace. Let me tell you a little bit about this tabernacle of David. It had fallen and there were multiple breaches. The tabernacle was nothing more than a tent that was set up. But the tabernacle of David was unique. It wasn't like the tabernacle in the wilderness. It had similarities, but there it housed the Ark of the Covenant. And as you know, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where the presence of God resided, as they knew it. And within the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items. There was Aaron's rod that budded, which showed God's authority. Man had rejected God's authority and God put it into the ark. There was the bull of manna, which was God's provision. Man had rejected God's provision, said, I can do it on my own. And God put it in the ark. Then there were the tablets of the commandments. Man had broken everyone and rejected God and his laws and God put it into the ark of the covenant. And the lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant is known as the mercy seat. And it was upon that mercy seat that blood was sprinkled once a year, making atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. Because God would not see all the violations. He only saw the blood. And then when Jesus came, he became the ultimate sacrifice he came and shed his blood and gave his life. So anybody that had ever made a mistake, anybody that had ever violated God in any way was no longer held accountable because of the blood of Jesus. And now when God looks down, all he sees is that blood. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your faults. He doesn't see your flaws. He sees the ark of the covenant. It's a covenant that we have with him through the blood of Jesus. How many people today have forgotten the covenant and God says, I'm going to restore it? And the breaches that are in this house, I like that because it wasn't one breach. It was multiple. How many of you have ever felt like you've let God down? How many of you have ever felt like you've done it multiple times? See, sometimes we see Men come up here and preach and think, man, they got it all together. Let me let you in on a secret. No, we don't. We love God and we're doing the best that we can, but we still screw up too. And we're sorry. But the one thing that you'll find that these men know is how fast to repent and say, God, I missed it there. I'm not going to live in that. I'm not going to let the devil use it as a weapon. 
You're not going to come against me and use that and say, look, you failed again. You failed again. You failed again. Okay, but I got up again, and 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 I'm not going to let you use my failures against me. Woo! You can't do it, devil. Jesus fulfilled everything that the the tabernacle of David stood for. But there was one other thing that was unique about the tabernacle of David. You see, in this tabernacle, it was a constant symbol of God's love and faithfulness. One who would be swift to do righteous things. And as a result, it became a house of worship. When you see a house that loves to worship God. Come on, somebody. They love to praise God and they love to worship God. That's the tabernacle of David being manifested. And God says, I'm gonna restore it in such a way unlike anything you've ever seen before. Everybody say already. Already. He goes on in Amos 9.12. Why am I gonna do it? that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And if you go through the book of Amos, you'll find out that Edom really was wrapped up in all of the error. Everything that was wrong was wrapped up there, and God said, I'm going to take that and make it fresh and make it whole. It's time for us as the church of the living God to take our rightful place, possessing all that God has for us. Not some, not a little bit, not a, a, a tad bit here and a tad bit there, but everything that God has for us. It's time for the church not to do church, but be the church. The government rests on your shoulders. Acts 15, 15 says this. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, referring to Amos, after this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. You see what God is saying? I'm going to take all of this out of the ruin and I'm going to restore it so that mankind will seek me. Why does God want to show himself powerful? Why does he want to show up and show off? Why does he want blind eyes open, the deaf hearing, the lame walking? Because he's God. It's contrary to his nature. And when people see miracles, they absolutely flock. They don't even know why. In our ministry, we've seen multiple people raised from the dead. I've watched the blind eyes open. The deaf ears open. (laughs) 
one night I prayed for a woman that her ears would be open. She was completely deaf, and she walked away. She was so mad she was going to call the pastor that had me in. He prayed for me, and I'm deaf. She went to bed that night mad and angry. The next morning she woke up. She was going to call the pastor, and then all of a sudden she realized something. She was hearing birds singing. I'm not saying everything happens instantaneously. I've watched it happen instantaneously. But I've also watched somebody grow into their faith as they receive what it is that God has. As your faith is, be it unto you. You come expecting, you leave with a miracle. You come in doubting, you're going to go out with your doubt. Now catch this. Verse 13, Amos says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. How many of you have heard of seed time and harvest? Genesis 8, 22, As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall remain. Now there's some other things in there, day, night, hot, cold. But seed time and harvest remain. That means as long as the earth is here, there will be a time to plant and a time to sow. But what we also know naturally is once you plant the seed, what do you have to do? You gotta water it, you gotta maintain it, you gotta cultivate, you got everything else, and eventually you get to harvest. What is Amos saying? The day will come when. Catch this, the plowman overtakes the reaper. They're simultaneous almost. The treader of grapes, him that sows seed. Now catch it. First the plowman overtakes the reaper, and the one that has the grapes, the one that gets the grapes, the treader of grapes, overtakes the seedman. Can you see how quickly it's coming? Back to back to back. How many of you have been waiting for an answer from God, a promise for God, and you've been sowing and sowing and sowing? I'm here to tell you that the time is now where the plower overtakes the reaper. And it's your season to receive from God his promises. The mountains shall drop sweet wine and the, all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities. If there's an area in your life that has seemed wasted, God says, I'm going to build it again. Don't wait on the way. Don't look at the waste anymore. Don't look at what you see. Don't look in the mirror and be your enemy. Let me restore what has been wasted Not only will I build the way cities, but I will inhabit them. What will it be like when it faith builders, people just walk through the door and fall on their face, worshiping God, unbelievers that don't know why they even stumbled in. But God said, I'm going to inhabit you. I'm going to be in your midst. 
And they come in and all of a sudden their eyes are open, their ears are open, the, the lame are walking, and they don't know why. All I did was walk into that place and look what happened. How long do you think it'll be before you can't fit anybody in any service seven days a week because there's simply not enough room to do what God wants to do? And listen, I know from pastoring for years and years and years and years, sometimes God doesn't even tell us what he's about to do until he does it. So don't think for one moment that when pastor gets up and says, you know what, I believe God said, we're going to do something different. You just go, yes, sir. We need to make this 14 stories high. Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a flashback. Saying of a church I was preaching in, in in Eastern Europe. It was right after the assassination of Ceausescu in Romania. And they had an underground Pentecostal church there. The largest Pentecostal church in Eastern Europe at the time had about 6,000 people in attendance. And you know how they kept it hid? By building story on story. When I walked in, I preached from the second story. There was a first story that had a full band. And on the third story was a full orchestra. And they balcony all the way around on each level. So you never know how God might do something. He might just say, I don't even like where you're at. Let's move. Oh, but it's convenient. He's not concerned about your convenience. He's concerned about people. He's concerned about people's souls. You had over 500 people born again just two weeks ago. Come on, church. That's what God's interested in, is new people coming into the house and getting to know who he is. Ephesians 3.20, God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think. What can you think? It's too small. Pastor, what can you think? It's too small. Can you see the dead being raised to life? It's too small. How about 10 of them? people set free, delivered, demons being cast out. So whatever you can think or imagine, God's able to do exceeding abundantly above. And listen, stop imagining just the natural things. Because James said it like this, you know why you don't have the things you ask for? It's because you can consume it on your own lust. I put it like this, whenever you're asking for consumables, forget it. When you start asking God for what is in his heart, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the things get added to you. You want to seek all the things, everything will be taken from you. And not by God. God's not the one that's going to take it. But if you get selfish and you do all the things that are all about you, you're going to fall back into the trap of Israel and Amos. And you'll lose it all. 
2 Corinthians 1.20 says that the promises of God are yes and amen. Everybody say already. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 4, verses 34 through 36. He says to the people, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, everybody say already. Already Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Already. Abraham, when he went to sacrifice Isaac, the ram was already in the thicket. When it was tax time, the coin was already in the fish's mouth. Everybody say already. When the Arameans came for Elisha, there were more with them already than was against them. The problem with Elisha's servant is he couldn't see it. Why? Because he looked with the eyes of the natural and all he could see were the multitudes of the king's army. But Elisha said, don't sweat it. There's more with us than against us. They're here. God opened his eyes. Let him see. My prayer tonight is God opened their eyes. Let them see. You are here. You know what they need. You've already made provision. It's done. When Pharaoh needed financial advice for the nation, he didn't go look for a genius. Joseph was in Egypt. He just had to have his eyes open to see it. When Jacob needed saving for his family, Joseph was in Egypt and had become Pharaoh's Second in command, governor over all Egypt. When the nation of Israel needed deliverance from Egypt, Moses was And when man needed a savior, come on somebody, when man needed a savior, let's say it again, when When man needed a savior, Jesus was already. Revelation said from the foundations of the world, there was a lamb slain. So before the world was even formed, the plan of salvation was already. So you can't tell me God's not interested in your situation tonight because he provided a savior before the foundation of the world knowing what you would need tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verses 9 through 15 scripture says this God freely gives his gifts to the poor. How does he give them? 
freely, and always does right. God gives seed to farmers. Now, what are we talking about? That sped up seed time and harvest. God gives seed to farmers and provides everyone with food. He will increase what you have. Everybody say increase. increase. When's he going to do it? Always. Don't say four months. Right. Lift up your eyes. Yeah. Say He'll increase whatever you have so that you can give to those who don't. I don't believe in that prosperity stuff. Shut up. The way God's going to help those around you is by getting to somebody who's going to be faithful. You can't give to somebody what you don't have. And nothing says that if God blesses you beyond measure, you got to keep it. That selfishness leads you back into the time of Israel during Amos. You will be blessed in every way and you will be able to keep on being generous. Why? Seed time, harvest, seed time, harvest, harvest, seed time. I don't even know what season I'm in. Why? I'm just blessed. Think about that. What season are you in? Is it a sowing time or is it a reaping time? I don't know. I just know I'm blessed. I just know I'm blessed. Now hear me. That doesn't mean you don't have to sow. And it doesn't mean you don't have to reap. It just means you're doing it constantly now. Well, I'm not just waiting for a certain time to sow. No, I'm sowing all the time. Why? Because I'm reaping all the time. I'm sowing all the time because I'm reaping all the time. I'm sowing all the time because I'm reaping all the time because God has me purpose for this time. Then many people will thank God when we deliver your gift. Listen, God's a generational God. You may not even see in your lifetime all that God wants to do. Pastor, I'm just a, I'm a custodian. I don't know how God could use me. Listen to me carefully. Your light shining in that place where you are might spark a testimony in one person's heart. And they come to Jesus. What you don't see is that their son comes to Jesus and their son comes to Jesus and four generations later, one of the world's greatest evangelists that has ever been known rises up because a custodian just let his light shine in a place and four generations later, a world's being changed. Don't you dare say, but I don't see it. Lift up your eyes. God, open their eyes. Let them see there are more with us than against us. Don't look at what you think are the results of your life. Look to what God said the results of your life are. The way in which you've proved yourselves by this service, what service? Seed, time, and harvest. 
The way you prove yourself by this service will bring honor and praise to God. You believe the message about Christ. You obeyed it by sharing generously with God's people and with everyone else. Now they're praying for you and want to see you because God used you to bless them so very much. Thank God for his gift that is too wonderful for words. Amen. God knows what you need. He's made provision. He's called you. Seed time upon harvest. Harvest seed time. Harvest seed time. Always sowing, always reaping, always sowing, always reaping. Never forget what God is doing in your midst, church. Right here at Faith Builders. Lift up your pastor's hands. Pray for them. Lift them up. In any type of warfare, the enemy knows he wins if he can kill the generals off. Don't let him do it. Your prayer is effective. It's powerful. Stand with them. Undergird them in prayer. And watch what God's going to do. Amen? Let's stand up.